Being as this year, Shabbos HaGadol is in the whole week before Pesach. And uh, I think it's safe to assume that most of us will still be busy this week with the mitzvahs of preparing for Pesach, of getting rid of Chomets. So what I want to speak about today is to focus on the Hadachas and the understanding of the din of being revived, destroying, checking for Chomets. Now, as we know, there's one din that one has to get rid of Chomets so as not to be over the Torah prohibition of Bayero, Bayimotza, that the Torah says one's not allowed to own Chomets or see Chomets, and therefore we have to destroy the Chomets in our possession. But there's a second reason also, and that is, if a person has Chomets, they might come to eat the Chomets. And therefore a second reason to make sure there isn't Chomets in our possession is to prevent us from accidentally coming to eat Chomets on Pesach. We know that out of the various levels that the Torah gives for different foods which it forbids us to eat, Chomets is in the category of the most severe. The penalty for eating Chomets on Pesach is the Kores, which is the most severe penalty the Torah can give for something we eat. Now, obviously this halacha means that one has to make sure there isn't going to be chametz, so to speak, one finds in Pesach, then he'll come to eat the chametz, a chocolate bar or a piece of cake or whatever it might be. But there's a second understanding here too. And that is, we have to check to make sure there won't even be that minuscule amount of chametz, a few crumbs, which might land up in our food on Pesach. And this is an important distinction. Because when it comes to the issue of owning Chomet, then less than a Kazais, the few crumbs which might have fallen behind the closet, or the half a pretzel which might have warmed its way into the couch, aren't going to be an Isser as far as owning Chomet goes. But when it comes to eating Chomet, even the smallest amount of hummus is a problem. Not only by itself, but the halacha is that even if that smallest amount of hummus, that single crumb, will get mixed into a much bigger amount of food, so even though normally there's a halacha called bittel, which means that the tremendously larger amount of food would vassal would nullify the, the isser inside it and everything would be allowed to be eaten but when it comes to chametz there's no bitter and if that's the case then one crumb it could forbid an entire pot of food and that's really what I wanted to talk about today there are three different ways where a person can be over the isser of eating chametz and Pesach Unwittingly. The first is because that single crumb, that small amount of chametz, is going to find its way into what he's eating and make everything into chametz. The second is we know in the halacha that it's not just the actual crumb of hummus which is also to eat. Likewise, the taste of hummus is also. And therefore something which has, so to speak, absorbed a taste of hummus and now is going to impart that taste of hummus to other foods. So that's going to be also too. And therefore the second way that a person can unknowingly be over the issue of eating hummus is by eating something which has absorbed the taste of chametz, and that too would make the entire mixture also because here also there's no brittle.
there's no din that a large amount of what's mutter is going to nullify the amount of isra. And thirdly, there's certain products which a person may, might buy not realizing that there's chomets in the product. And therefore, mistakenly, but so to speak, uh, with his own hands, he's bringing chomets into his house in Pesach. So again, we're going to look at three different categories. We're first going to look at the category of places where it's possible, it's even likely, that there may still be remains of chomets, and they may find their way into a person's food. Secondly, those places which may have absorbed chomets and will then possibly impart them to his food. And lastly, those products which a person might not know contain chomets and might be used in Pesach without realizing that there's really a question of chomets involved. This is where a person should focus the main part of their Pesach preparation. Of course, it's proper and admirable to move the furniture to make sure that there isn't a speck of chametz anywhere in one's home in one's possessions on Pesach but as stated previously that minuscule amount of chametz which a person is not going to get to is less than a kazayat and the person is not going to come to eat because it's not accessible or because a person is not going to find it on Pesach in in the context of what he might eat. So a person isn't over an Isser by its being there. But that same cram, which might be in a place, which could well make its way into something a person is going to eat, then a person has to be that much more vigilant to make sure that he cleans it, because otherwise he might bring him to an Isser and Pesach, and not just that, but could render all his Pesach products, or his Pesach food, Hametzlik as well. So let's first start with the halakhic aspect, and then after this, Be'ez HaShem will have an opportunity to explain the lambdas, to explain the principles on which these halakhas are based. So I'd like to focus on, in the first category, places where it's likely that there will be residue of Hametz, and that that Hametz is likely to make its way into one's food. Places which aren't always often thought about. And therefore let's consider this a checklist of places to check and to clean and to make sure are ready for Pesach. So the first, I think the most obvious example is the refrigerator. Everyone uses their fridge on Pesach and they use it for food. And sometimes that food is not covered and therefore if there would be any way that there would be chomets still in the refrigerator, it would be very easy for that chametz to fall into the food one wants to eat and make it awesome. And therefore, I think the primary place in the fridge which a person has to be aware of checking is what we call the gasket or the rubber seal around the door. The fridge is this rubber seal like an accordion folded around the door. It's there to create a vacuum which keeps the cold air inside. And every time a person carries food over it through the course of the year, it's very possible that crumbs can fall and find their way into the folds of that vacuum seal, of that rubber seal. And being as it gets squeezed and opened every time a person closes and opens the fridge, it would be equally easy for those crumbs to be pushed further in and eventually fall into the fridge on Pesach, or into the food in the fridge on Pesach. And therefore, one needs to check carefully between all the folds of the gaskets of the seal of the refrigerator and the freezer to make sure that there's no food stuff there. The second place I'm going to draw attention to, also one which is often overlooked, is a lady's rings. If a lady has a diamond ring, there are lots of crevices, there are lots of little points in between the settings where Khamas could find itself. And for a lady who wears her rings when she prepares food, it would be very easy for Khamet to make its way into the crevices of her ring. 
And if the same lady is going to be preparing food, Rosh the Pesach also wearing her ring, then it's not hard to see how that chametz, which has made its way into the ring, will now make its way back into the food. And like I said before, there's no shear. There's no amount of chametz which is needed to make something oser, even the smallest amount. Therefore, that either has to clean her ring as well, or make sure not to wear them on Pesach when she's preparing food. <coughs> Our third example is the broom. People are always sweeping the house and collecting crumbs. And a lot of those crumbs get stuck between the fibers of the broom. And it's completely impossible to clean it. And if that's the case, one needs to make sure that for Pesach, the broom they're using during the course of the year, which has been used for cleaning chametz, is locked away, is kept out of sight. Brothers have a separate broom for Pesach, so we don't have a, that same chashash, that same concern of something which we know is containing chametz and being carried around the house throughout Pesach. And if you're going to ask, where do the crumbs on the broom have a way to make the way, so to speak, into the food one's eating? Well, there are two possible options. First option, there are those people who use a broom to sweep the table. If that's the case, for sure. If a person might unwittingly do that in Pesach also, because that's what they normally do, so then they, with their own hands, they're putting the crumbs into the table. But there's a second issue here too, and that's the first thing we wanted to talk about. And that is the floor. It happens that food falls. And if food falls, it's going to come into contact with ourselves on the floor. Now, of course, we all wash our floors before Pesach. But firstly, if one's using the broom that he used the whole year on Pesach too, then it's very possible that there will be crumbs on the floor. And the food which is picking up off the floor is picking up together with the crumbs which is collected there. The truth is, this is always a chashash. Because even if one cleans the floor before Pesach, one walks in the house and out the house. And one doesn't always check the bottoms of their shoes. Every time they walk into the house to make sure that they didn't pick up any chametz on the pavement or the street and bring it in with them. Which is why many people have the hanhaga, have the custom not to use food which has fallen on the floor in Pesach. It doesn't matter. It could be that there had been something on the floor which was chametz thick, cram, and has attached itself to the food. Food which can be washed or peeled so, okay, there's reason to do that. If it falls on the floor, wash it, or peel it, whatever it is, in which case, one doesn't have to worry about what might have been on the floor. But food which can't be washed, or can't be peeled, a piece of matzo falls on the floor, for example. And if that's the case, many of the custom not to use them, for, to put it aside for the rest of Pesach, because of this chashash, that there might have been crumbs on the floor. Make a dinner, it's a good thing to do. But either way around, that's why the broom is definitely a culprit of, so to speak, spreading comets through the house. So we spoke about the fridge, we spoke about the ladies' rings, we spoke about a broom, we spoke about the floor. Now I come to the third thing. One which, there hasn't been a year where I haven't found comets there. And that is, Children's pockets, children's coats, children's school bags, children's lunch boxes, children's gun ticks, whatever else the children would put food. Because children do use their pockets or their ticks to store food in. And that food often gets forgotten about. And there's two problems over here. Number one, it could be something which a child, if they would find on Pesach, would eat. 
We found in our children's coat pockets whole wafers or wrapped biscuits, whatever it would be. This is hummus, which is a danger in its own right. It might be eaten as it is. But besides for that, even if there isn't a big item of hummus, there'll still be crumbs, which make their way into the corners of the pockets or of the school bags. And if the child is wearing these same clothing on Pesach or using that same bag, so yes, they're going to put food into the pockets again. And that Pesach food they're putting into the pockets is going to come into direct contact with those crumbs and it's going to result in them eating crumbs. And therefore, a big part of one's preparations of cleaning before Pesach or what needs to be checked on the night of Bidikus Chomets is the pockets of his children's clothing. Don't forget their winter coats. It could be called in Pesach. They put in their coats and they've been using those pockets in the year too. Or their ticks, or their school bags, as we said before. Some people think that their aides just wash everything in the washing machine. That doesn't always work. In our family, I've had experience of a chocolate wafer wrapped, which has gone through the washing machine and emerged unscathed. One has to still check to make sure that there isn't comets, even when its original wrapping, which could survive being washed, <coughs> and still presents a problem. Now, so far we've spoken about chametz in the confines of one's home. The mice has become a minag Yisrael, I don't know where it began from, but nevertheless here it is, we have it today, and that is that in Kharamoy one has to go on trips, on visits, to wherever it may be, and people take food with them. And remember, the food that you're going to be eating as a picnic or on the trip is in a place which wasn't cleaned for Pesach. And if that's the case, one has to be extremely careful that the place where he is going to be eating, there's no possibility of there being comets there which might make it so into his food. You're using a picnic table or a park bench, one has to make sure it's properly covered. One has to make sure that one only eats things which stay on the cover that is provided. Not in the other surface, for sure not on the floor. Because all these are places where there could be chametz, no one's ever checked it. And if that's the case, it could make the food he's eating into chametz as well. What about leaving food uncovered? Is there an iser chametz in leaving food uncovered? Are we worried that chametz is going to fall in? Now obviously it would depend where this would be. If one leaves food uncovered outside in the street, the people walking past, not everybody unfortunately is keeping Pesach. There might be more of a chashash that chametz would fall into food which is left open. But let's talk within one's home. <coughs> Do you have to be chashash that if I leave something uncovered, chametz might fall into it? And the reason there is such a chashash is because the halacha is that when one wants to bake matzahs, there's a special din, there's a special halacha regarding the water being used for baking matzahs that it has to be what's called Maim Shalana, which means water which was drawn the day before and left to cool overnight. Now, that water, it's brought, so when one draws the water, the container it's in has to be covered because we worry the Chomets might fall inside. So we see that there is such a chashash, such a worry that something uncovered Chomets might fall into it. Nevertheless, the post can say that's a specific chashash by the water used for masses. It's not a general chashash. And therefore, one doesn't have to make sure that every any food in his home is covered because maybe chomets will reach it. We don't have chomets falling from the ceilings. It's true that the story is told about a certain chashav uh, shlam from 100 years ago. When he used to eat on Pesach, his wife used to stand over him with an umbrella to make sure Chomets wouldn't fall into the food. But that would definitely fall into the category of an extra precaution. There's no real chashash. In one's Chomets is going to fall into his food, and therefore doesn't have to worry about something which wasn't covered, but maybe Chomets landed on it. Now, another, another point which needs to be thought about, 
And that is there are a lot of foods in a person's house which are not chametz on their own. But if they've been used, they've been opened during the course of the year, then one has to be chayshish that chametz fell into them. Because even now in Pesach, when there isn't chametz around, and one's not handling chametz, it's not a reasonable chashash that maybe chametz fell onto it or into it. But during the course of the year, when there is chametz everywhere, that becomes a, that does become a real chashash. And if that's the case, the person has to be careful. Either the chametz fell in, or they themselves put chametz in, because they, didn't, they weren't thinking in terms of Pesach, of avoiding chametz, and therefore one has to be careful that maybe there will be chametz inside. And therefore those products, even though they may on their own be kosher of Pesach, if they've been opened and used in the kitchen during the course of the year, they can't be used in Pesach as well. Examples. Sugar. Salt. Paprika. Coffee. All these things are kosher of Pesach. But if one uses the sugar, salt, coffee, whatever it is, during the course of the year, so then maybe the teaspoon he put into it had a crumb on it. Maybe it was left open on the counter when a person was busy with chametz. And therefore there could be that minuscule crumb inside. And the halacha is that that one crumb is enough to make the whole thing awesome in Pesach. Because maybe you're eating the crumb. And if that's the case, we don't have to buy and use a new sugar, salt, coffee, paprika, whatever else is going to be for Pesach. One which is sealed and therefore would not have no chashash that comments have come into contact with it before it. That doesn't mean one has to dispose of it. It has to be put aside until after Pesach. Now, because of this thing, that this one crumb will also even a much larger amount of food, because the crumb is there, we don't know where it is. There are more paskins, for example, a barrel of wine, <coughs> which a crumb fell into, would mean the entire barrel of wine can't be used on Pesach. Unless... One strains it before Pesach with the strainer fine enough to catch the crumb. Because if the crumb is still there, then there's chashash every time one drinks the wine on Pesach, that maybe a person is going to drink the crumb as well. But if a person strained it, and therefore he knows before Pesach began that there's no crumb in this wine, that makes it mutter. The strainer on Pesach itself doesn't help. The Mishaburi explains, because since it had already become a mixture of chametz and therefore became also, so, straining it on Pesach isn't going to revert its status to being mutter. Now, because of this halach of the crumb in the barrel of wine, so already for the last 60 years, the Paiskim have been discussing the question of why is it mutter to drink water in Eretz Yisrael on Pesach? And the reason for the question is, where he goes back to the time of Chaznish, and that is, maybe somebody threw a piece of bread into the Kinneret. And therefore we have these crumbs and they're going to make their way into the water supply and there isn't, a sheer, there isn't an amount of bittle on Pesach. And if that's the case, maybe this crumb will make it into my cup. And therefore what will the alternative be? That a person would have to prepare water for the whole of Pesach before Pesach and they'd have to strain that water to make sure there are no crumbs in it and then that's the water they're going to use on Pesach. Because they held that water from the regular faucet, which may have comets in the lakes, in the seas, wherever it might be, is maybe that, that makes everything awesome. Now, if that's the way we're going to ask the question, and that is, maybe the crumb, which is turned to the canary, is going to land in my cup, and that's where the water needs to be strained. So it's not such a question. And the reason is, because the water is already strained, <coughs> for health reasons. And just like you're not going to find fish showing up in your tap, because maybe they came from the Kinneret, the water is filtered, the water is strained, the water is purified along the way. Same thing, it's not a reasonable likelihood that one's going to find bread in this water either. The only question is, is maybe that uh, it was only strained during the course of Pesach, and therefore... Maybe this water, which I'm drinking now, in the middle of Cholamoid, began Pesach in a mixture with the piece of bread. And like we said before, a mixture oasis the whole amount. Or, the other way to ask the question is, maybe somebody poured a bottle of beer into the Kinneret. 
because you can't strain in a liquid. And if that's the case, maybe there's that minuscule amount of liquid in the water, and I'll be getting that water on Pesach. Now, that was the Khashash, and there were people, and there even are people today, with, because of this, filter and strain and set aside water for the whole of Pesach before Pesach begins. Because even if there would be that crumb, one would have strained out before Pesach, and even if there would be those few drops of beer or whatever it may be, halach is before Pesach begins, then there would be a better. And therefore there's no chashash of the water becoming us from Pesach. However, the Paiskim, Barat Chaznesh, Rishon Zaman Arbach, held one doesn't need to do this. The famous Nusach that they used was, even though the halach of Chomet is that a mashahu, a minuscule amount is also, but they said even a mashu, even that din of a something, has a certain share. And one crumb in the entire kineret is too small to be worried about. One has to explain what's the share. If a mashu is a mashu, if it's something minuscule, something minuscule. So where are we going to cap it? Where are we going to say that it becomes something which is too small? Is too minute to be a problem. So let's look for a second to explain why Chazal was a machmer and chametz that even this minuscule amount is going to be awesome. And if we look at the sugi, we'll see it's machlokes between the Rishonim, it's machlokes between the Rambam and the Rosh. The shit of the Rambam we'll discuss later, but the shit of the Rosh is that because Chomets is so severe on the one hand, it's an Isakaris. And on the other hand, people don't look at Chomets and think, also, it's not like other things which are Akaris, such as the forbidden fats, called Khaylev, or drinking blood, where a person never drinks blood, he never eats Khaylev. The idea of them repulses him. And if that's the case, he's not likely to notice cup of blood and drink it. But Chomets, is something which throughout the course of the year a person does eat. Every Shabbos, every day, people eat bread, they eat cake, they eat uh, every, all kinds of chametz. And therefore, if a person would find the same on Pesach, they don't necessarily think Isser. They think it's a Rogana. They think it's a piece of cake. And that's something that a person's used to eating. They might eat it on Pesach as well, but the Gemara says, as far a person doesn't naturally distance himself from chametz. If that's the case, Chazal will machmir. But we have to be much more careful about Chomets, even the smallest amount, so that a person shouldn't have anything to do with Chomets, shouldn't come to be tempted by Chomets, and shouldn't come to eat Chomets. <coughs> now, if that's the case, it makes sense to say that Chazal would be machmir about Chomets, which is mine, or Chomets, which is getting into food, which is mine. That's the scope of where they can be machmir because of the Chashash that a person might come to eat Chomets. But if we're talking about the natural, the national water supply, we're talking about seas and rivers, where it's nothing to do with my chomets or my water, and therefore not just my chashash that Chazal would make on me for not eating chomets, then it's understood that in that case there wasn't that gzair of a mashal. There wasn't that chashash that Chazal have to be machmir about and also the entire mixture. Anyway, so as the postman said, therefore one doesn't have to be worried about the mashu and the kinneret and prepare water before Pesach. That was historically the response and it's true. The master today, fast forward another 50 years to where we are now. <coughs> anyway, in Yerushalayim there's nothing to worry about because as we know today, the water that we're drinking in Yerushalayim has never come from the kinneret. The entire water supply of Yishalayim is produced by the desalination plant in Ashdod and piped to Yishalayim in a completely sealed system. They worry about terrorism, it never has any opportunity for people to get touched. And it's coming from seawater which has been desalinated, which has been vaporized and reconstituted as water, and therefore there's absolutely no khashash in the world that there's going to be comets in the water in Yishalayim, one can bring it without question. 
Okay, so so far we've spoken about the dinim or the concerns of where a small amount of chametz might make its way into one's food and where to be careful to make sure that it doesn't happen. Now let's move to the second category. And that is the chashash of products which contain chametz. And therefore, the persons are aware that they might use in Pesach, even the products themselves, which are fruits, or they might use items which have chametz within them, and the flavor or the taste of the food is going to transfer itself to what one's eating and make an asr as well. Because that too is the iser, something which has absorbed the taste of chametz. So let's look at a number of examples. Products which can, may contain chametz and therefore a person needs to make sure to only use the Hachshar and Pesach. So the first product I'm going to mention is raw eggs. Eggs which come from the farm often aren't properly washed. And there could still be some of the chicken feed, the seeds which the chickens eat on the shell of the egg. Now that chicken feed is chametz. And therefore, when one brings the egg into one's kitchen, the shells have chametz on them. And therefore, a person needs to check to make sure that the eggs are clean. If there's no chicken seeds or anything stuck to the eggs, because that would be bringing chametz into one's kitchen. The second point I'm going to mention is various alcoholic drinks. There are those alcoholic drinks which are produced only from the ingredients which we know there are, such as a wine, which is just produced from grapes, or a whiskey, or a beer, whatever it is, even though these things are obviously hummus, but they, we know where they are, where, how they're produced, what the ingredients are. But other kinds of alcoholic drinks, share brandies and liqueurs and things like that, the way that they're produced is one first needs to have a base alcohol, which is caused by bringing something to ferment and produce alcohol, and then afterwards other flavors or tastes can be added to it. Now we know from Hilchus Kashrus that in the world at large, what's used to develop that alcoholic base, what's used to ferment in order to produce that alcohol, which could be used in any other kind of alcoholic beverage. So there are four options of the base alcohol, how it's produced. The one is a grape-based alcohol. Just like by every kind of wine, grapes which ferment produce alcohol, that can be used as a base for other drinks too. The second is a grain-produced alcohol. <coughs> Again, just like by whiskey or beer or things like that, fermenting grain can also produce alcohol. And a grain-based alcohol can be used as a, as a starter for liqueurs or, or other brandies, whatever it might be. The third option is a plant-based alcohol. Just like vodka, for example, comes from potatoes, other vegetables can also be used to ferment and produce alcohol. And lastly, is something is a milk-based alcohol. Milk also ferments very quickly and can produce alcohol, and that can also be used as a base for a various drink. So even for persons buying a cherry brandy, or a chocolate liqueur, or a vishniak, whatever it's going to be, one can't assume necessarily these things are either kosher or kosher for Pesach, because one has to know what the grain or what the base alcohol was. If it was a grape-based alcohol, it's going to be drake, it's going to be yainesach. Just like any wine, which are non attached. If it's a grain-based alcohol, it's going to be chametz. If it's a milk-based alcohol, it's going to be milchik. And therefore, it's very important when it comes to alcoholic drinks <coughs> that it has a hechsha, because without that, like we said, it might be chametz, it might be treif, it might just be milchik. One needs to know there's something which a person's allowed to eat. So, too, when it comes to vinegars, sometimes vinegar is just diluted Acid, acidic acid, but it could be that if you have a grain-based vinegar, 
then these things could be chum and stick as well. Another item which a person often finds on the ingredients and maybe chametz is glucose. Glucose can also be produced in different ways, and if what's producing glucose is, is wheat, so then it will make it chametz as well. <coughs> which is why the badats, for example, is put out in different years that things with vitamin C with glucose is chametz because the glucose that they checked is being produced from a grain source. And therefore, products like that, which a person is not aware of, one has to make sure good kashka pesach because otherwise they could be containing chametz. Similarly, this is well known, all kinds of mixed spices or sauces or powders very, very likely contain flour. It's one of the best natural thickening agents that there are. And therefore, unless the person has something which is kosher to Pesach, one can't use spices, sauces, soup mixes, whatever it's going to be, because these things could contain flour. And therefore, it will be chomets. Now let's talk about non-food items which might contain chomets and make the way into one's food. So there's two categories I want to mention. The first one is, this is what Ramesh Shlomach writes about a lot, and that is synthetic flowers. In order to make them shiny, are sometimes coated with a shine, <coughs> which comes from barley. Now even if one's not eating the flower, but if it's on the table, the vase of synthetic flowers and food touches it, it could take some of that body extract, let's say, which there is lining the flowers, and that would make the food also as well because now almost it's covered the contact with it. And lastly, I want to talk about starch. Halakha already talks about starch, or at least to starch shirts or tablecloths, whatever it is. And starch is chametz, and therefore a person has to be careful and basic with that. Today, maybe that's not so popular anymore. But where it still could be a chashash is when it comes to paper products, which are thickened in order to make them waterproof or to make them stronger. So also very often starch is used. Paper products such as the hot cups you're making your coffee in. It could be without a heksha that that's the starch in the, in the paper. And if that's the case, once one puts hot water into it and is absorbing the flavor of that starch, it's going to make it awesome. Similarly, paper plates. Similarly, napkins, serviettes. We mentioned before, we tried about the eggs. The tray that the eggs comes in, which is a kind of a thickened cardboard, could also have starch in it. <coughs> and therefore, all these things... person should be careful about because they're coming into contact with the food he's eating. And if there would be that chametz starch inside them, then there might be a problem. And therefore, when it comes to paper goods, one should be sure only to buy paper goods which have a good heksha. Now, when it comes to things like plastics, there's no reason for a heksha. Plastic isn't produced in any way with anything of a food substance, and therefore there's nothing to worry about. When it comes to paper, and there would be this chashash of starch being added, one would have to make sure it has a heksha. Even though many ask the question that why would one worry about the starch within paper? Isn't it something which is nifsa, which is rendered inedible? A dog wouldn't eat it. <coughs> so firstly, I'm not sure if a dog would or wouldn't eat a paper cup. We'll have to try that out. But regardless, people make a big mistake with this thing of what a dog would or wouldn't eat. Because when it's coming to a question of is something edible as a food? So then what Something a dog won't eat is no longer called food. But if something is chametz and is used for a different purpose, not for eating, so then if that's the case, it's still something which has a value because it has a use. The chametz food, which a dog won't eat, has no more value than no one's going to eat. A person won't eat it either. But a chametz item which has a use, even if it's not going to be used as something eaten, but the mice that's used in some other way, if that's the case, it's still chametz. Whether the dog will or won't eat it is immaterial. 
And therefore, for example, when it comes to perfumes or things like that, which cover an alcohol, which is based coming from hummus, no one's going to ask, does a dog eat perfume? It has a value even if a dog doesn't eat it. And if that's the case, one has to worry about these hummus, so to speak, items, even if we don't have a real chashash that a dog is going to eat it. <coughs> and that brings us to the last category. And that is those where things that chametz is going to absorb flavor, and or the food item is going to absorb the chametz flavor, and now it's going to make everything also because it has the flavor of chametz within it. So just like we saw by the paper cup, which is starch, what happens if a person uses his year-round pots, plates, whatever it would be on Pesach, even if they've been washed. So let's clarify. There's no issue in having cutlery and having pots which have the taste of chametz inside. There's no din that a person has to sell his entire kitchen for the year because of the taste of chametz which is in his pots. Shulchan Aruch says one just has to lock them away that he doesn't come to use them on Pesach. But there's no issue owning the taste of chametz. It's not something which is bain, something which is tangible. Same reason I always say that there's no chashash that a person has to sell, so to speak, all his plates because of the taste within them. If anything, it makes the sale look something not, not a real sale. You can't sell the taste out of a pot. How is someone going to buy it? So, when it comes to the taste of hummus in one's kitchenware, it's enough just not to use it over Pesach. The chashash is going to be that a person does use it over Pesach, and now that flavor which has been in the pot, or in the plate, or wherever it's going to be, is now going to come back out of it into the food, and make the food awesome. And if that's the case, what would be the halakha? If it often happens, a person buys a set, let's say, of 6 or 10, or whatever it is, 12 <coughs> plates, and... He thinks we don't need so many for the year, I'll split it. Half will be for the year, half will be for Pesach. That's not always a good idea. Because if one's meticulous, so keep the year set and the Pesach set separate, that's fine. But if it's going to happen, whether changing to all Pesach or changing back after Pesach, then one's might get mixed up about any one of those items. Is this a Chomet's plate or a Pesach plate? If that's the case, like we said before, there's no din of bittel. There's no din of bittel, and therefore even if one has six plates, and one knows that out of the six, five of Pesach, they can one isn't, just doesn't know which one it is, but luckily it will be awesome to use all of them on Pesach, because there's no bittel, and one of them has a taste of chomets, it will be awesome to use. And therefore it's advisable that one one uses for Pesach is either a separate color, a separate pattern, a separate set, was has been marked specifically Pesach, so that one's not going to get mixed up between his Pesach things and his non-Pesach things. And this doesn't just apply to plates, it applies to pots, to ladles, to knives, to anything which is used in preparing hot food, which would be a problem to use the chomet, the so to speak, item on Pesach. And in the last category we're going to talk about, this is something which the person can discuss. There isn't really a good solution, but let's at least put the problem on the table. And that is the shayla of a person who has dentures. Whether it's braces, whether it's crowns, bridges, whatever it might be. These things are metal, <coughs> and as metal it absorbs. If that's the case, when one eats chametz of a type which could absorb taste, these things will absorb the taste from the chametz. And then if afterwards on Pesach a person eats his Pesach food, that taste is now going to be imparted to the food he eats on Pesach. Now what are we worried about? There are three ways that taste can transfer. The one is from hot liquids from a cleavation, which means hot liquids which is boiling on the stove or was just come off the stove. Things like that is not likely will make their way to the dentures and one's mouth. The person doesn't drink, normally drink directly from a pot or from a kettle. 
And therefore, once it's been put into a second cup of Kishani, it doesn't have the same khum. So we're not so worried about hot liquids. But the second khashash is hot foods. Because even if a liquid gets cooler when it's transferred to a second kli, we machme like the shach and the mog and the bram, that the food doesn't. And therefore, a hot chomets food will put taste into one's mouth. A person eats a hot barek or a hot pizza, so the taste of the chomets has now made its way into, so to speak, his ventures into the metal in his mouth. And if that's the case, when afterwards a person eats hot Pesach food, so now that place is going to be come out of the dentures and get into the food. Or, another way which taste can be absorbed is something sharp, which a person bites into, so there's a certain pressure on it. And if that's the case, if a person would eat chomets, which was sharp, and then afterwards in Pesach, he's going to eat something sharp, such as the marrow, so then again, the taste which has got absorbed will be imparted. And now the obvious question is, what's the eight, so what can a person do about that? So here also, <coughs> what the Chpaiskim advise, that a person shouldn't eat hot salad chametz within 24 hours of Pesach. Yes, I know a lot of people eat pizza the night before Pesach. That's okay if you don't have any dentures in your mouth. But otherwise, a person should avoid hot salad chametz for 24 hours before Pesach. The reason being that more than 24 hours, the taste in, like, absorbed taste of food becomes pogum. It doesn't become good anymore. It doesn't give a positive taste. And there's a makhrakis, <coughs> whether that helps for chametz or not, but at least it's one more side to rely on. And that is that it's no longer a fresh taste of chametz, coupled with the fact that the stain of something solid is a machlaikas, or whatever other stadium there may be. The best we can do is that a person shouldn't eat hot chametz within 24 hours of hot solid chametz, within 24 hours of Pesach, and that will make it a much better um, what he's going to eat afterwards. Obviously, to go with the point we said before, a person has to clean their teeth very well before Pesach. There's also a place where there could be a res- res- residual chametz, which could be those crumbs which got stuck. And if they're going to get dislodged when they eat some Pesach, they're going to find their way back into this food and make everything else. If a person has to wait 24 hours after eating chametz, hot chametz, so there's a discussion where that would be from the time that the Isra of chametz begins, which is at the midday of Erev Pesach which would be, let's say, midday Friday this year, so that would mean that a person would have to refrain from eating hot chametz from midday Thursday, or it's from the time that he's going to be eating a Pesach food, which is hot or which is sharp, and therefore we would need to make sure that at that stage his dental appliances are no longer going to give over a taste, which would probably be sometime of later Seder. Either way around, this is would only apply to hot chametz, and therefore if a person would be eating bread, or even chametz would cool down somewhat, there wouldn't be an issue. Now, we've seen many examples of the severity of chametz, and we've seen how machmer we are. That even the smallest amount of chametz renders everything awesome. But then we'll find the halacha, which is very strange. And that's the halacha when it comes to baking matzahs. The matzahs, as we know, are rolled into thin, like large circles. They're draped over a stick and they're unfolded, they're unrolled into the oven. And if the matzah is laid flat, it bakes in a few seconds and it's taken out. However, it sometimes happens that when the baker unrolls the matzah into the oven, they don't lie completely flat. They either fold over themselves or they get curled. And when that happens, so you have a matzah which doesn't bake because... Most of this area, which is very thin, exposed to the heat, bakes very fast. But the area which is doubled over, which is folded, so now has an inside area, which is, so to speak, prevented from the heat of the rest of the oven, and therefore it doesn't bake so well. And therefore when this matzah comes out of the oven, most of it is baked like a matzah, but that area which is folded, called the kfuda, 
is really basically hot dough, which means chametz. If taking a dough, we've made it warm, it hasn't baked properly, so it's going to be chametz. And what's the halacha of the matzah, which part of it is chametz, in the same matzah? The halacha is we break off a piece around the area which is doubled over, and the rest of the matzah can be used. If you've ever opened a box of handmade matzahs and you've seen half matzahs, that's not necessarily because they broke in transit, it's because when they came out of the oven, so there was an edge or there was a corner which was folded over, and therefore the mashkech who was checking broke off that piece, and he's left the rest of the matzah there. And now the obvious question is, is that if as we saw, we saw nachmir b'chametz, that even the one, one crumb, the one grain, can make everything also, then why here can you have a matzah which is chametz within the same matzah itself, and nevertheless the rest of it's going to be mutter? And the answer is, and this we have to understand, the principle of how tarevis, how mixtures in halacha work. And that is, that whenever there's a mamashos, whenever there's a real amount of chametz, a kram we spoke about, or a seed of chametz, so if it's lost in a mixture, the whole mixture is going to be also, because maybe this is you're going to be the one to eat the seed. And that's not a den which is specific to chametz. The same thing would happen if a tiny fly fell into an enormous cauldron of soup. And halach is that a whole animal, we call the birya, can never be misbattled, can never be uh, nullified. And if that's the case, the entire pot is going to be also because in every serving there's going to be the chashash. Maybe here's the fly. So that's when you have a question where the chametz is. But when we're discussing about the transfer of the taste of the chametz, then there are rules of how taste transfers. And therefore, like we spoke about the kli, or even one's dentures, which comes into contact with hot liquid, it can transfer the taste, and even the smallest amount of taste transfer of chametz is going to be oser as well. However, when it comes to something dry, the principle is that taste doesn't transfer through dry objects. And if that's the case, even if one has the hot comets as part of the matzah, but there's no medium of transfer, there's nothing which is going to transfer the taste of the comets to the rest of the matzah, and therefore as long as I've broken off the part where there's comets, the result will be that the rest of it is kosher. And because of this principle, so we have two big kudos in Pesach too. And that is, it's true where there is a taste, and the taste is transferable, the smallest amount will be also. But in cases where halakhically taste doesn't transfer, so then the things will not become master and Pesach because there's no halakhic means for the taste to move. And therefore the halakha brings an opinion, so we pass Kunak, and we have two pots next to each other. They're both completely dry on the outside. So we pass Kunak the opinions to hold the Magnavram and the Shach, that taste doesn't transfer from one dry pot to another dry pot. And if that's the case, we would even have two pots, one cooking chametz and one cooking Pesach food. And they could even be touching each other. As long as they're both dry on the outside, the one will not ask the other one. Of course, the Chachir, we don't do this. We're scared one's going to spill over, one's wet, whatever it might be, in which case everything will be awesome. But if they would be both dry, the halacha is that the Pesach food will not become chametz because there's no way for the taste of chametz to transfer through the wall of a dry pot to the wall of another dry pot. Now the same token. Everybody's busy covering their countertops and backsplashes and surfaces. And the reason for that is because these uh, things with chametz is touched during the year. And if that's the case, if something hot in Pesach would be put on the same surface, on the same counter, it would draw the flavor out of the surface into the Pesach food. But if for whatever reason the person forgot and put a dry pot, even if it would be hot, but it would be dry on a dry surface, as long as there's no liquid in between them, there's no possibility of transfer of taste. And in a case like that, it won't make the Pesach food chametz uh, stick. Just to finish off, we mentioned previously that the reason Machazal was so machmer on Pesach, the opinion of the Rosh. The Rosh holds, as we saw, that because chametz is so severe and because people don't naturally Avoid chametz. Rebbe Chazal Midrabanan made a gzera to have anything to do with chametz. 
will do the Asr, and therefore a person has to be careful that even the smallest amount of Khamets won't be, so to speak, in anywhere where it can come into contact with the food they're going to eat. But there's a second opinion as well, and that's the opinion of the Rambam. And the Rambam in Hilchus Macharis Asuras writes that the reason we machmer on Khamets is because of a general principle in Halacha called Dovashayesh Lamatiri, which means something which is Asr now. But will become mutter later on. So there isn't the option of eating it now with the principle of bittel, with the principle of nullifying the isr, because one can wait later and eat the entire thing better when the isr is no longer there. So an example of this, for example, is an egg which is laid on Shabbos. And the is that an egg which is laid on Shabbos is mutter. And even though it can't be eaten, if it would be mixed, says the Gemara, with even a thousand other eggs, none of them would be able to be eaten. And the reason for that is, is because even though Mukt is not such a Chomer de Ki'isr, but as soon as Matli Shabbos comes, the Isr goes away. And if that would be the case, then everything will be Mutter. And therefore, a Dava which will become Mutter later on, there's no Heta of Betu. And the Rambam includes Chomets in this category also, and that is that since Chomets after Pesach will become Mutter, Therefore, there's no battle on Chomets. The other Rishayim don't agree with the Rambam. They don't consider Chomets to be Dovish Yashim material. There are three different questions. The first question is, this rule, that something which is, has material, which will become Muta later on, doesn't get nullified, doesn't get bottled, only applies to things which taste the same. We call min vimino. In cases like that, we spoke about, for example, the egg, which is laid on Shabbos, won't be bottled in a thousand other eggs. But that's if that egg was cracked and poured into a different kind of food. And if that's the case, as long as the taste of the egg is not noticeable, everything else will be mutter. In other words, to put it into halakhic terminology, the iser of min, the iser of which isn't bottle only applies to min bimino, which means a similar type of food. It does not apply to min bimino, which means a different type of food. And if that's the case, when it comes to chametz, we find that the chametz, even the mashah of chametz, is oyster everything, whether it's the same type of food or a different type of food. The one crumb will oyster up a whole pot of soup, even though they don't taste the same. So why was the wise this din different to the regular din of Davish Yeshimut. The second question they ask on the Rambam is that Davish Yeshimaturin means that there'll be a hetta for this food. But that'll only apply after Pesach. What about food which won't last till after Pesach? Food which will never, will never get to see the hetta because it's going to spoil within seven days and therefore it'll never be practically mutter because Pesach's finished. And the last question that Ryan asks is that we mentioned that there's no betel on Pesach even by Kalim. If the one non-Pesach fork gets mixed up with all the Pesach forks, they're all going to be awesome. And we hold that when it comes to Kalim, there's no that one of them is awesome. We don't say it's Yeshna material. And the reason is, is because one can machshir the Kalim. One can do a gala and make them kosher again. Except that's not something which happens by itself. It's something that a person has to do. <coughs> and if that's the case, you pass and that's not called Yeshna Matir. Yeshna Matir means it's going to become Mutsa all by itself. And lastly, the halacha is that Chomus, which is owned by a Jew, is also after Pesach as well. And if that's the case, where's the Matir? So just to finish off quickly to explain a little bit the numbers of the Rambam, he offered We'll start from the end. The question of the fact that Chomets is also after Pesach, the Rambam explains, that's only a knas, and only applies to a case of the Chomets, which was a jihad, we made we a knas to Rabbanon to Asr after Pesach. And therefore, as far as the Torah's din of Materium goes, the Chomets with the is Mutter after Pesach. Now, the question is, what does that mean? At the end of the day, it's still also, it'll never be see, it'll never actually be mutter. Whether it's the rice or the rabbi, what's the difference? 
So the Yisrael of the Rambam, which will answer a number of these questions, is like this. We can talk about Davish Yesh the material in the fact that the food will become matter. But there's another kind of material also. And that is the material of the Rambam that the Isra disappears. The Isra disappears. It's not that something became mutter, it's that the Isra of Chomets vanishes after Pesach. And therefore when something is Asra in Pesach because it's Chomets, so this is a short-term Isra. It's a short-term Isra because as soon as Pesach finishes, Chomets is not called Asra. And therefore, it's not a question of will I be able to practically eat the food or not. In other words, is this food item going to become mutter? And then we can say that it won't because there's an Isidra button after Pesach. Or it won't because it won't survive long enough, so to speak, that it'll still be edible in a week's time. The, the material point to Rambam is the fact that the Isidra disappears. And therefore, Chomets is an Isidra which is only always a short-term Isidra. And if that's the case, since it's an Isidra which isn't a long-term Isidra, it's in the category of something... Which is not, which is going to have, which is considered yeshle material, and therefore that isra will never be an isra which has a better. Now, that answers the the last two questions. But what about the first point? Why does it apply to even the min b'she'en even to two different minim? So we have a principle. The shach tells us in Simon Tzadikas, and that is what's called min or mina or ene mina. If it's something which is shy to mavatl, you know, something which you have enough of it and the taste gets mixed in and isn't noticeable anymore with kamota, then we define what the same min or different min as how it tastes. But, if you're talking about something which is always going to be us, even the smallest amount, then the min of the enemina goes by what it's called. And therefore, since chametz is also even a mashu, so anything which is called chametz is going to be also. It doesn't make a difference if it tastes the same or tastes different. If that's the case, why is this different to other halachas? Let's say, like Mokta we mentioned previously, that halacha is that it's only the egg which is laid in Shabbos is only also if mixed with other eggs, not if mixed with other food items. So the Ramam himself answers this question. And the Ramam says, that when the Torah brings the Isra of Chomet, it brings the second Pasuk. It says not to eat Chomet, and it says not to eat Machmetis. Machmetis means not to eat a mixture of Chomet. And therefore, it's true that maybe the Chomet is mixed into anything else, but since it has a name of being Chomet, it's now Chomet which is mixed into other things, and therefore that's also Asr. And it doesn't make a difference how much of a mixture it is. Once there's a principle that it's a Davish Yesh material, so a Chomet mixture is also going to be Asr. Chomet is also and the Chomet mixture is also as well. Mashank and other things, even they have material, but it's only the Ike Issa which is also. And if that's the case, once it's mixed into something else and not noticeable anymore, it doesn't get the din of a mixture of an Issa. So just to conclude, therefore we see this extra Chomer. By Chomet, either because it's exactly the Rabbana and we saw that people shouldn't come to eat Chomet, which they don't necessarily distance themselves from, and because Chomets is a so Chomets occurs. And like I said, we need both of those Svaris. Because the other serum which occurs, which don't have this Chomets, such as drinking blood, then that's because people don't necessarily think of blood as something they're going to drink. It's something which is always awesome. And the other things which are also awesome, uh, even though sometimes a person would, would consider them food, and therefore don't necessarily distance themselves from them. Like the example, we have the egg which is laid on Shabbos, the person doesn't see an egg as a Dover Asr. But over there, the Isra is not so Chomer, it's only Isra Drabonin. And therefore, according to the Rosh, it's only when you have both factors together, an Isra Chorus, as well as uh, the fact that people don't distance themselves from it, the Drabonin made this Kizari that everything's going to be Asr, even the smallest amount. And according to the Rambam, it's uh, something which is the material, something which the Isra goes away after Pesach, and therefore it will become Mutter again. And the reason why even it's Asr in a mixture of different types of food is because that's part of what the Torah was Asr. The Torah didn't just ask the Chomets by itself, the Torah Asr Chomets mixtures also. And therefore every mixture, even though normally we would say a mixture, 
if it's diluted a certain amount, there's a vast enough amount of heta, opposite to the Isser. We would say everything is mutter. In this case, since it's the Yeshua material, in every mixture, regardless of how small, is going to be awesome. What's preparing for Pesach is a lot of work, and especially if you're looking for even such small amounts of Chomet, but it's worth it. We know there's a famous Arizal, it's even brought in the Mishnaburah, and there is the amount of effort a person puts into making sure that he's not going to eat Chomet on Pesach, making sure to destroy the Chomet before Pesach, is commensurate with the amount of Siyat Hashem gives him in combating his Yetzirah throughout the whole year.